Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Yeah, there was a church in England that was experiencing explosive growth about you know, a couple of decades back. And the church was just growing in numbers up to like 30,000. And their reputation of their praise team and the worship leader were having such profound influence all over uh, England, Europe, and like really around the world. So people from the distance came to this church. And so if you can imagine a mega church, 30,000 people, great worship band, and people are coming from all over, you would think they got it made. But the pastor recognized something was wrong. Something was missing in this church. So he did something brave. He went up and said, are you guys coming to worship God or are you coming to be consumers? And he said, something's wrong with our worship. And I kind of mentioned about that. There's this trend that's been going on within the church where people are coming more as a concert but not singing. Only about 30% are singing in the churches around the uh, country, Western uh, church. So the pastor did something brave, and he said, we're just going to remove all these things. He unplugged all the equipment, if you will. The worship team was removed except maybe a couple of singers, and they sang a cappella for a while. Worship leader Matt Redman, you might have heard of him, he said when that happened, it was, he said they experienced this embarrassing silence, is what he said. Embarrassing silence. When they were unplugged, because people didn't know how to worship. But over time, little by little, people would break out in songs, in prayers. And there was a shift that took place in that church where worship began to happen. And that's what inspired that song, The Heart of Worship, you guys may have known. Um, And the lyrics he wrote, he says, when the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that is of worth. That will bless your heart. When I think of that story, I can't help but be reminded that, you know, we can do all the things that look right and it's not worship. You can have the most gifted worship band that moves the world's influence, be there leading. In a mega church context of 30,000 people, have the reputations and the building and all of that glitter, and it's still not worship. Meaning, we can do all the right things, and it's not worship. So what makes worship, worship? What makes one person's offering worship and another person's offering not worship? What makes, you know, one person's service in the church worship and another person's service in the church not worship? What's the difference? 
what does God want from us? Because at a surface, people have tried to formulate and try to understand, if you do this, this is worship. But according to the Bible, in some examples, that's not the case. So, we're going to look deeper about that. We, we, again, I said this last week, I'm going through the series not to, sometimes sermons are like behavior modification stuff. <laughs> this is not a correction sermon, right? I, I think as a core value, as our church, he's God is building this church up with worshipers. And that's one thing I, I'm grateful that who we are and what we do. But God called me to preach on the subject of worship and the sermon. And I shared last week why and uh, the understanding of worship is that when we praise God, when we are worshiping God, worship is the only appropriate response when you encounter God, right? Because in heavens, the ones who see God on a daily basis for all eternity, only their response is they fall down on their knees, bowing down, laying down their crowns over and over, calling holy, 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 and giving thanks to him and praising him all eternity because he is so worthy of praise. When you encounter the one who is worthy, that's the only natural and appropriate response. And so when the people on the earth are praising God, we are coming into agreement with what's happening in the heavenly realms. Meaning, what we do here on the earth as worship, there is more profound things that are unseen. There is the deeper things that's happening in the spiritual realm when we are coming into agreement with the heavenly realm. Because just as we say in our prayers, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying heaven is the model and we're just coming into agreement with God. And I defined faith before. Faith is the word where we get amen. We're coming into agreement with God in faith. And so worship is coming into agreement to honor God in agreement with the heavens. But what does that look like? So we're going to look at that. Um, first example I want to give to you in a couple of examples throughout the Bible is uh, Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is sitting inside the temple courtyard. And if you know the temple, there's different courts within, like the deeper you go, the center is the Holy of Holies. But there's a parameter of who's allowed in, depending on if you're a male, female, Gentile. Right, the deeper you go, there's more parameter or stipulations. But there's a place in the courtyard where there's all the offerings are taking place. And Jesus is sitting on the opposite side, watching people in this box, offering box, if you will. And you see the wealthy people bringing bags of money. And you see them putting it in or casting it in. And, and the word there describes someone literally throwing or making a visual observation. It's very obvious what they're doing. And then there is a poor widow who comes and she drops in two copper coins that's worth fraction. And to this, Jesus told the disciples in Mark 12, 43, he says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put 
in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I want you to notice that Jesus was not impressed with the amount of, of money that people were contributing. He was not impressed with what people were doing. He was impressed with the motivation behind the giving. Okay? Because one gave out of wealth, out of abundance. It could have been 10%. It could have been even higher. But God was still not, I mean, Jesus was still not impressed with that context because out of their abundance, they gave. But this woman, who was a poor widow, gave two copper coins. And at that time in history, it's worth a fraction of a penny. In her economy of scale, at that time, it was hardly worth anything to even purchase. And the Bible says that was all she owned. That was everything for her. Meaning, she probably lived panhandling. She barely had food for herself. And that two copper coins was all she had to even buy anything, if she could even purchase anything. In a position of need and scarcity, of having nothing, she gave the two copper coins to the Lord. And Jesus was more impressed with that. So it wasn't about the quantity. It was about the proportion. It was about the heart behind the giving. What does that say? God doesn't necessarily look at the action. He looks at the heart. He doesn't look at what everyone else sees who are so impressed with the wealthy. Oh, don't get me wrong. I get impressed with the wealthy. I get impressed with certain cars. I do. God doesn't look at those things. And he's like, he's a source of wealth. He's like, what is all that? He looks at the person's heart, motivation, and that's what, you know, moves him. This widow had nothing. And I want you to just, on that side note, God doesn't need your money. God is a source of all wealth. He doesn't need our money. And so... When we, and I know that whenever money is talked in church, and this is not our church specifically. I'm talking churches across Western ch churches. You, you know what I'm talking about? Soon as somebody talks about money, because some pastors or leaders have abused this, walls come up in many people. And so they just don't like hearing about offerings and tithes and this, of that subject. But God doesn't need our money. We know that. We say that. But God also uses money and the church to expand on his kingdom. But also he gives us a privilege to participate in what he's doing. And I, I, I need you guys to know that. We can only join in if we join in his heart. In his mission. Just because we're skeptical about certain leaders doesn't mean we can't join in what God's doing. Just because they're in part of the church or church leadership. We can't be skeptical about every person. So I'm going off tangent here, but I want you to just consider the initial giving of the 10%. I know uh, Caleb had preached on this before. Initial 10% tithing model is pre-law. Okay? 
So I, I, we can, I know there's a lot of arguments about, hey, it, it's about the law. Actually, I see the first offering, tithing, pre-law before Moses. And you see examples of people of faith like Jacob or, you know, Abraham who encountered God's provision and said, Lord, thank you. You're the one who gave. You gave me success. You protect my family out of the abundance. Man, I give you my proportion as, as an act of worship. So it was first worship act out of appreciation and gratitude. The, when we look at the Mosaic law, when God called Moses to mandate about the tithing, I, I want you to consider this. The law was given, why? Because Moses was the only one educated to lead a bunch of slaves. Moses was the only one who was raised up in the temple with the academic scholars teaching him, raising him up. And then these, the Israelites were enslaved for a long, long time. And they did not know about God's law or the systems to make things work. And when the law was given, yes, that 10% was used to feed the Levites and do the ministry work in the temple with things, all those things. But it was necessary at that time because the Israelites did not know any better. Do you understand that? But God used that law to teach something about faith and worship. Because he did not want the Israelites to be like any other nation. He said, I want you to learn to trust me because I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this promise. I'm going to give you this identity. I'm going to be the one who gives you all that. You trust me. You act in faith by giving me of your 10% by obeying the law. To the Israelites, to the nation of slaves who did not know any better of the systems to make it work in freedom, God gave this organization. That was the law. We get into the New Testament, yeah, we don't need to fulfill the law. But where is the worship? You guys understand that? It comes back, not to the law, but of our hearts. Do we still trust God to be our provider? And if he is, we need to give him our worship. Consider... Worship is not about doing things of the law, but giving what's in our hearts. And worship isn't to fulfill the expectations of the people around us, but it's about pleasing God. The word worship, some have described as a compound word, the act of giving worth to the worthy one. You alone are worthy. We sing these songs. God alone is worthy. And worship is the act of honoring him because of worth of value. And so it is giving of our hearts in action. Consider uh, King David, who is described in the Bible as the man after God's own heart, right? There was a time, and there were many examples of this, but there was a time when David was having tremendous success in his uh, leadership as a king and leading uh, military success. And he arrived at City of David, which is considered uh, Jerusalem now, right? So he conquered and he is making it his city. He's living in a palace. Um, 
the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark, the fancy box where God's law and the presence of God were represented, was in another town. And they tried to bring the Ark in, but they carried it incorrectly to say there's very strict rules on how to transport, and if you do not follow, you die. Like, that's what happened. And so they're doing it again, trying to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And they're being careful and to giving God the honor and the worship in the process. And the des- description in there is that from another town going into Jerusalem, the Bible describes how every six steps they made a sacrifice and they danced before the Lord. Right? Let me bring that up. Um, every six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fattened animal. And the Bible describes how David dressed in ephod, which is sort of the linen cloth of uh, the priest. He danced. Six steps, he danced, sacrificed. Six steps, danced, sacrificed. I mean, continually until he arrived into the city. Now, uh, his, one of his wife, Michal, uh, Saul's daughter saw him entering into the city dancing before the Lord in the streets and she despised him in her heart. She despised him because he wasn't acting in a kingly or royalty-like manner is what she was thinking. And so she says this in 2 Samuel 6.20, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And here's what David's response was to that. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. Worship is about honoring the one who deserves honor. Worship is recognizing who we are and who he is and who we are in the presence of. His wife, the queen, was like, You weren't acting kingly, royalty, like distinguished, if you will. But David's like, I know who I'm before. I am but a servant before the true king of kings. And he deserves all worship. I will be even more indignified than this. English is my second language. I can stumble like this. David recognized who he was before who God is. When we recognize who God is, worship is a natural response. Being concerned about the opinions of our family, our neighbors, our peers are pretty insignificant. But they do have an impact in our lives, don't they? I mean, we don't like to admit it. It may not be so much in this church, but I remember visiting a church, and I'm worshiping quietly as everyone else was worshiping quietly, and I want to lift my hands. I want to stand up. I want to go for it before God because I was in my heart, but I didn't want to stand out. 
because even raising my hand was standing out in that place. There was no freedom there. And it was felt suffocating. Because within the church, before the king of kings, there ought to be dancing and singing and lifting of our hands and bowing down and falling on our faces, doing what is the natural physical response when we are before the king of kings. But people are, some people are inhibited by what other people think. And David showed, when you are before the true king, I am nothing. I will be even more undignified than this. When worship happens, we must recognize who we are before who he is. David knew how to worship God because he recognized the real king. And he laid it all down. True worship puts God first. Ahead of anyone or anything first. Worship is honoring God with whatever we have. And that may look different from one person to the next, depending on the giftedness and the provision that God has provided. Like, I would love to sing like Caleb. <laughs> but he didn't grace me like that. He just gave me better looks. I mean, just... <laughs> God gives grace his people differently. But what do you give unto the Lord? It comes from the overflow of your heart. David one night recognized his blessings. He was just counting his blessings. And he looked out all that he had. And he saw the ark in a tent while he was in a palace. And his conclusion was, oh my gosh. Who am I that I'm living in a palace or a house made of cedar and here's God, the ark, in a tent? So he told Nathan the prophet and said, Nathan, I want to do this. I want to build a house. I mean, God's in the tent. and Who am I to live in a palace? And the prophet initially responded, do what's in your heart. But then Lord spoke to Nathan that very night to give to David his words and response to him wanting to build a house for him. And this is what the Lord said to David through Nathan in 2 Samuel 7, 8. It's long, but let me read it for you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and, and be dis disturbed no more. 
and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offering after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and shall be to me a son. I I want you to think about this. Here's David. I want to give honor to God. I want to build him a house. God hears about this, or knows about this, and says, David, you want to build me a house? Did I ever ask you to build me a house? I've never lived in the house all my, right, in my eternity. Did I ask any of my uh, judges or servants to build me a house? Never. But you want to build me a house? I would build you a house. Think about this. He starts off saying, I never asked for this. I never wanted this. But David, you want to build me a house? You won't be the one who built it, but I will let your son build it, and I will build your house. Did you know that when we give worship to God, God outdoes us? Like, you want to give me honor? (laughs) I'll show you. Not as a competition, but that's who God is. When we honor him with little, he honors us even bigger in multiples. You know, um. For Mother's Day, I remember my kids wanted to bless their mother, Sarah, right? So in secret, they would make the cards, uh, get the ingredients ahead of time to make the cake. So my daughter, for days, prepared the ingredients, the menu, and all the things that she's going to do in secret for the mother, right? And she deserved it all. She, she's a great mother. But the kids... I saw their sweet gestures. And on that Mother's Day, or yeah, imagine birthday, Mother's Day, whatever, they gave it to her. And she's like, the stick figure card that she saw, oh, how sweet. And she loved it, and she would show me, and she loved the honor. The cake, it tasted great, but, you know, she loved it. But you know what I saw her do? Of course, you get the hugs and the kiss and thank you. I love you. Thank you for honoring me of my Mother's Day. But what I saw in Sarah do days after, months after, is she outdoes them all year long. In blessings and kisses and the education, the cooking, the driving. She's researching the schools and the activities and the, the hobbies the sports, I mean, she goes out of the way to blessing her kids. The kids think to remember to honor her once for Mother's Day, birthday, Christmas, right? Really, all year long, she is pouring down her love upon her kids. And I kind of see that in David. David's like, I want to build your house. You want to build me a house? I'll build your house. I'll build your family. I will make your name great. I will build up your kingdom. Your children and their children's children, if they follow me, I will be a father to you. 
You guys get that? The blessings of God as a father to his son who gives him a little bit of honor. He goes, I will give you the honor. I will give you my name. I will give you the kingdom. So who benefits more? God when we worship him or us when we worship him? Consider that. I'm not teaching this to sort of manipulate you to worship God. We don't worship for the blessing. We worship him because who he is. The blessings are an overflow. Blessings are the fruit of what happens. But I'm just telling you the heart of God. When we worship him, he's going to outdo us because that's who he is. It's crazy. But sometimes when people see the acts, they just think, it's the acts. It's about the singing of the pretty songs. It's about doing the service in the church. It's about giving our offering to the church. It, we, people have defined the religious acts as acts, not as worship. And when you, so what makes one person singing worship, another person singing not worship? What makes our church worship and 30,000 not worship? It's the heart behind the acts. Are we giving worship in what we do? Uh, when I was in the mission school years back, I, uh, one teacher talked about worship briefly, but really what I remember was, are you bringing the heart of worship in everything that you do, including your work duties? And every student in that mission school had work duties. And everybody had a different role, whether you work in cafeteria, cleaning up after a certain uh, premise. My role was we had a small auditorium as our classroom in, our, in my school. And so I was sort of like the facilities manager, maintenance person, cleanup guy. And that afternoon, after the week of class on Friday, um, I was ready to vacuum. And I remember that message and of are you bringing your worship to everything that you do, including your work duties? And we're talking remedial work duties. So I asked, like, what does worship look like to do this task of cleaning up this place? How, is that, how can I make this my worship? As I thought about that, how to convert my everyday activity into worship, I envision how can I put a smile to God's face? How can I please him? How can I honor him with even the things that I already do? And so as I got out that vacuum, I envision the back of the auditorium, double doors, envision the king walking in in all his splendor and glory. And as he comes in, I see him looking around. As he looked around and looks at me, he goes, well done. Well done, my faithful servant. Well done. It looks clean. <laughs> you did well. I imagine God saying that to me. The end in sight. And I started vacuuming with that heart of worship. The king is ready to come. I'm going to prepare this place. I was preparing his house. I was pre preparing to please, to put a smile to God's face. Can I tell you, as I was doing that, the spirit of God came. And I couldn't vacuum anymore. 
I fell to my knees. The Spirit of God came, and I couldn't do anything except just, I, I, I don't know why. I started crying like I'm doing now. <laughs> I started bawling before God in gratitude because he received my worship. I've never vacuumed like that before in my life. It changed me. And I tell that testimony over and over because you can give your worship in your vacuum. You can give your worship as you're cleaning that toilet. You can give your worship in all that we do. And you can give money and not be worshipped if you're doing it out of grudging heart. But man, if you know God, if you know how worthy he is, you give and you give and you give. And it's not even enough because you, he has given far more to you. And when we give an act of worship, man, he multiplies. So, do we understand worship? Do we give God our worship? My worship may look very different from your worship because we have different grace, different giftedness, different resources. But you got to ask yourself, how can you give grace, uh, uh, your worship, in your context to God that may be pleasing to him? That's the question. Can you put a smile to God's face? The religious looks from the outside in not getting it. They just look at the acts, the giving, the service, the commitment. But no matter what people do or how faithful they might be every week, if the heart is not in it, it fails to be worship. It's religious. Even Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries of all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Meaning, if it's not worship, it's religious, it's meaningless. At the very heart of worship is love. Our love for God, love for his people, love in what we do. Again, I believe you guys all love the Lord with all your heart. And my gratitude as your pastor to be part of this community as we worship God together. That's my privilege. But I have seen people be faithful and be committed and not give worship. I have seen people who love the Lord and start com and be committed in the task, but over time stop love, and all it became was religion. Meaning you can start in worship and end in religion if you forget love. And one last thing before we close, and, I, and this came to me. I prepared this message last night, but this morning as I was praying and meditating, when we give honor to God in worship, I believe God honors his people 
And the words that he gave to Moses, I felt like he was giving to the worshipers today. Okay. Let me just reread God's word to David. Now we'll give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come after, come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I believe when we give our worship and our devotion, our love to God, God says, I will be a father to you. I will remove your enemies. I will bless you. I will bless your children and their children's children. I will build up their house. You want to build me a house? I will build your house. Because that's who I am. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.